Lesson 1. Tis truly a curse to have no coins in your purse, for you lose sight of all pleasure and all means of leisure, which makes life all the more worse. The School of Gallantry. London, England, January 1830. Being a self-respecting lady born of impeccable culture and lineage, at least on her father's side of the family, Lady Charlotte knew all too well that she was not supposed to wink, wave, smile or nod in the direction of any man as a means of gaining attention, especially from a hackney. But the pathetic jangling of the few coins that remained in the folds of her ribbon-drawn reticule reminded Charlotte that respectability was not only sorely exaggerated, but outright cumbersome. Though she had tried these past few months through various means to earn her wage most honourably, it was quite pointless, for it all ended the same in her dismissal. As a kitchen-maid for a banker, she'd been repeatedly propositioned by his scruffy, pudgy-fingered chef to hitch up her skirts for better pay. After she had rejected his tasteless advances, he eventually claimed to the mistress of the house that she always burnt the soup, curdled the milk, and evaporated the tea, all of which, of course, was untrue, but all of which, of course, had still led to her dismissal. As a housemaid for a naval captain, she'd been further humiliated and fondled in close quarters by the butler, who was as determined as he was gangly. When she grew rather tired of dodging his eager hands and threatened to report his behaviour to their employer, his retaliation resounded in her ears as he marched straight into the parlour and smashed an entire collection of vases. His accusatory finger not only resulted in the loss of her pension, but also all of her references. And yes, it ended in her dismissal. Sadly, the reality of her situation was this. She had no further means of earning a penny. Her scoundrel of a husband was dead, and due to his overly inconsiderate nature, his entire family, including his four mistresses, continued to be well coddled by his estate. While she, she was left to languish in her father's unfurnished townhouse, with absolutely no annuity, still waiting for the cursed court of chancery to award her the one-third of her husband's estate that was legally owed her, a portion of which she had brought into the marriage to begin with. In the end, contesting her husband's will had been more of an expense than she'd expected, it wasn't until she was forced to pawn off her only corset, indeed, that she realised her financial situation was quite pressing, not to mention depressing. And so it was, the moment her hired carriage rolled into the most respectable part of the city, just outside of Hyde Park, Charlotte knew it was time to set aside her remaining pride and introduce herself to the genteel masses as being on the market. With all the advances she had fostered since the death of her husband, she was certain an open invitation would secure much better payment. Or so she hoped. Charlotte shifted toward the carriage window and nervously eyed the approaching promenade. There were worse things than selling off one's virtue, like selling off one's only home, which had been in the family for over a hundred years, or having to beg to her husband's family, or, heaven forbid, one of his four mistresses, who had inherited everything, knew of her plight, and yet offered nothing. "'Lord, save me from myself,' she muttered, glancing toward the ceiling of the carriage, "'for in my desperation I know not what I do.'
Pushing aside the faded wool curtains, she unlatched the small glass window and thrust it wide open, allowing a burst of frosty air to blow in. The biting gust slashed at her face, bestowing yet another chiding reminder of how cruel the world truly was. Fortunately, it wasn't raining or snowing. Grasping the sides of the window with her gloved hands, Charlotte leant out. Her large pleated bonnet bumped up against the frame of the small window as she eyed her prospects alongside the promenade. She glanced in both directions, her brows coming together. Empty? Now how could the promenade be empty? There had to be some men left in the city. And though, yes, she knew full well that most of the wealthy men of great import were still in the country, she was not in any position to wait for the season to begin.'